Next Chapter Podcasts. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. The 500 The 500 J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition So it ain't nothing to new Hundreds more to go and in need of a friend The king of these for Angelo Talking the 500 until the end Talking the 500 until the end with my man J.M. On the 500, talking the 500 until the end. That song is Just Like Honey. It's by the Jesus and Mary Chain from their 1985 record, Psycho Candy. It's number 269 out of 500 on, uh, you know what it is, the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Oh, I'm still doing it, aren't I? <laughs> if you are tuning in for the first time, a comedian goes through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums. So if you want uh, real info and and like a real smart person, I think Malcolm Gladwell and Rick Rubin have a podcast. You can listen to that. Um, but if you want to have fun, we have fun here. All right, what is going on? Uh, I will be at the Moon Tower Comedy Festival April 19th through the 21st in Austin, Texas, doing the goddamn Comedy Jam, doing a live taping of Himbos, my other podcast, which you should listen to if you guys are into fashion, fun, food, sex, all the good stuff. It's a comedy podcast uh, run by two really good-looking Jewish guys, me being one of them. Himbo's podcast on all social media. Check it out. But I'm doing shows. I'm going to do comedy mothership. It's going to be great at Moon Tower. Then uh, I will be at the goddamn comedy jam at the comedy store on April 23rd. Then uh, the 24th, I'm doing Shimmy Shimmy Ya. And then I'll be at the La Jolla Comedy Store Friday, April 28th through the 30th in beautiful La Jolla, California. I'll be in Baltimore May 5th and the 6th at the Port. Uh, in June, I will be at the Jacksonville Comedy Zone in Florida. I'll be at the Dead Crow in Wilmington in June, July, Montreal, and July 28th through October 15th. I am hosting for Jelly Roll 
uh, me and my band are doing the uh, Back Road Baptism Tour at about 44 different arenas around America. Come out, come one, come all. It's going to be a real trip. I love Jelly Roll. Super stoked to be doing this. Um, so we're stacking episodes right now. So I did a bunch this week. Um, have you subscribed to the Patreon? Because we need your money because none of us are really making any anymore. So go to patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast and support the show. You get a bunch of stuff, bunch of stuff, bunch of, bunch of stuff. And you get to ask questions to the guest. So support, man. Um, big ups to Emily helping us book this show. We love her. Uh, and then the other people that work on it are cool too. Um, psych. They're all mad right now that I said that. I love all of you. I'm so excited. Uh, who do we have this week for Jesus and Mary Chain? Uh, Matt Pinfield. He's returning. Uh, Matt is a legend in music. Uh, multiple shows on the air right now. He's a former VJ on MTV, MTV2. He was the host of 120 Minutes. He was honored at the Global Rock Summit event with the first International Rock Icon of the Year Award for his contributions to music, radio, and media. He is a god, god in music, and we are lucky to have him on to break down this record. So uh, leave us a five-star rating uh, anywhere you listen to this podcast. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. I post clips daily uh, and funny stuff. Uh, JoshAdamMyers.com for all my tickets. Uh, email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group run by this dude named Evan. And for all things 500, go to the website, the500podcast.com. And with that, Psycho Candy by Jesus and Mary Chain. Booyah. What are you guys doing? We're good, man. And I mean, we're diving right into this because, um, you know, we know we both have a time constraint today. Um, I'm doing great. Jeremiah. Hey, where, are you? where are you now? Where are you living, Josh? I live in New York City. Yeah, I thought you'd moved a while ago because, you know, I, I would be seeing you, I'm sure, if you were still here. Well, I come back. I come back every month to do the goddamn comedy jam um, at the comedy store, and, and so I'm. I want to basic- I got to come see it again, you know, and I want to come bring my girlfriend to that. I- the next one is April twenty second, I think, at the comedy oh. store. Yeah, and come hang backstage. Oh, that'll be amazing! I'll bring my my youngest daughter. She's you know she's twenty three. I'll bring her. She she would love to come to that. It'd be so cool. What have you oh. been up to? You know, I got a show on Access TV called the power hour which started as a twitch show through dwp those concert promoters that do like a lot of you know the hard rock stuff that's out there but they also you know um you know everybody's on those festivals from food fighters and weezer and green day to you know avenge sevenfold and guns and roses and kiss and you know it's like so i do this show they built a studio for it started out as a twitch thing they had to deal with twitch and access tv saw the show and then picked it up uh as a it was called the Power Hour. It was a joke. It was I was doing it from this couch, believe it or not. Nice, nice. And then, uh, so it's been going. It's it's uh, was initially ten episodes. Now it's been up to eighteen. Um, nice. And uh, plus, I still do all my other shit. Like I have this live stream show that's in. It's a rock countdown and all the Teslas. I'm on KLOS every Sunday night doing interviews and uh, like a, a LA top ten music countdown. And then you know, thing about album anniversaries and birthdays. It's I've been yeah, doing that show for two and years. Approved, yeah, right? yeah. So I got that. Yeah, that's what they made me do that. Um, well, you, yeah. I mean, it, it's every you you have to constantly like you are going to die 
doing something involved with music. Like there, you're going to yeah. be at a festival and a pillar is going to fall on you. Yes. Like, <laughs> Let's hope it's not. I don't end up like the great Curtis Mayfield, which was, uh, how did so he go? Terrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was crippled at an ice tea concert, you know, I think it was out in Brooklyn or somewhere like that. The thing he was performing, the thing fell on him and then he was paralyzed yeah. and, Eventually lost the great Curtis Mayfield. Well, that's right. terrible. I but, which uh, you know. But, I, but I mean, hey, I was hit by a car and survived. So remember, you know, since the last time we did, yeah, this show was that crazy situation where I was hit by a car on Franklin Avenue, not far from where you used to live. Yeah, uh, woman, woman ran at a red light. I I was uh, literally sore out of the corner of my eye. Saved my life because I jumped up, snapped my leg in half. I went up, catapulted through her windshield, my whole body, my, my head went through her windshield, mm. tore my head open. She hit the brakes finally. Went, she finally realized I was there when I was in her car. And then, <laughs> like, of course, I was thrown out of her car. 30 feet, landed on the ground, was miraculously not paralyzed or killed. Yeah. And then had that long road to recovery of eight months of, you know, physical therapy, walking on a walker, walking on a cane, and then eventually, you know, uh, came back to... Uh, you know, I'm doing, I mean, now I fucking hike three hours on Sundays. That's great. At Griffith Park. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, yeah. I have a metal rod on my leg, but I don't feel any pain. And uh, good, good. You know, and except I, it's, when the weather sucks. Yeah, I, I trust me. I'm the same way. I have, I have that weird weathered knee. I think they're, you know, one, I think that was how we connected because we're both car accident brothers. You know what I mean? We both had tragic events happen with car accidents, getting hit by a car. But but also what I loved about because, you know, you think about it, man, we've been doing this almost five years and you were one of the first 15 guests, I think, that we had on, which was like one of my favorite episodes, because that was when we really started getting into, you know, I think we were we, we did an album with maybe nine songs on it. And I think we recorded for three hours. Yeah, which, we went for a while. But yeah. this is, but and the show is a lot shorter now. I've gotten yeah. a lot busier. We don't want to keep anybody that long. Um, but when we were lo looking at somebody for Jesus and Mary Chain, you know, yeah. we we were like, this is a band that I know influenced arguably one of my top ten favorite bands that I mentioned in that joke earlier, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. Like, okay. I hear this, I hear so much. JMC in BRMC yeah. that it that it's giving me uh, PCP on my <laughs> PEINIS. Uh, no, I, I but it's 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 really like like this. There's no BRMC. There's no that sludge. The what even I don't even think there's even like elements of like grunge and stuff. Um, that if you, if you don't have this band. So so being that you're someone that I've always looked up to as someone that knows music, you know these guys, you know a lot of the history and the stories of these bands. Like, let's go back to the first moment. Where were you in your life when you first heard about Jesus and Mary Chain? Well, you know, I bought the single of Upside Down. You know, I was always one of those guys. Uh, you know, I continued doing college radio way past my college days. And it's hilarious. I, I mean, I, I was really cool that I just got kind of Rutgers just put me in their WRSU college radio hall of fame. A lot of people that came out of that college Congrats. radio station, um, you know, which was really nice, of course. Um, and, you know, college radio was really important to me because New York radio sucked so bad when I was growing up and it's, you know, look, 
I'm not talking about the talent because I ended up working with tons of his DJs at Sirius XM over the years. And I think they're all really talented and great people, but the playlists were so tight uh, and so different than LA or Cleveland or other play, or even Philly, you know, where I would like sometimes that. discover the New York radio was, was uh, abysmal in the uh, late seventies. Um, and why, why was it so yeah. bad being in such a metropolitan city? Yeah. Playlists were so tight. Yeah. It wasn't even just disco. I mean, like certainly I grew to like this, some disco stuff. I hated a lot of it when I was a kid because I was an angry disenfranchised youth after having an aneurysm mm -hmm. between junior high and high school. I fucking hated uh, that oh. and I, but but uh, in retrospect, of course, you know I love a lot of those BG songs. They didn't even they didn't even read the script when they wrote those songs for Saturday Fever. And you know, look, I love Jive Talking, which was their first jump into like dance music, and I like their '60s stuff that was like really like more psychedelic or pop. Or actually, many of the BG songs had so much tragedy in them. Everything was about like dying, being caught in a mining shaft. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you know being executed. I mean, it was, some of the songs were so fucking depressing. But getting back to uh, New York radio sucking so bad for me in the 70s, I was so ready to embrace punk and new wave. I still loved a lot of rock, but the bands that I was listening to probably up into that period were ACDC with Bon Scott, Thin Lizzy, and things like that. Obviously, I still loved a lot of other, other things, but I um, was ready for punk and for new wave. And then when college radio happened for me, you know, I was constantly going to the store and using every cent that I had because, uh, you know, and, and then found a job DJing in an alternative new wave nightclub, right? Where I DJed there and the other entertainer was Richie Zambora of Bon Jovi. He was like on the other nights playing his guitar, doing a trio. Richie was before John Bon Jovi and the other guys in the band came and plucked him and, you know, the rest is history. But yeah, my my history with alternative music was was really important. So I would constantly, even at this point in time, I had been on my first, at my first like pay radio job, even though it was less than like working at a fast food restaurant. I was, uh, there was an alternative station on the Jersey Shore, this incredible station, WHTG in Asbury Park. And I was, you know, still buying imports, not only for the clubs, and I was still extending my college radio show. So I had another outlet to play. Um, but I, would, you know, would go to the record store and I, I found the Jesus and Mary Chain single for Upside Down. First of all, I, I thought, I loved the name of the band. I thought it was such a cool name for a really band. great name. Yeah. Looked great, you know? And so that's how I got introduced to them. And then, you know, of course, they were, you know, on their own label at that point and then did something, you know, with, you know, they got the attention of, uh, you know, uh, Alan McGee, who's a good friend of mine who I love from, you know, Creation Records. What an incredible independent record label from. Scotland. But, um, you know, the band ended up getting signed to Blanco y Negro, which was a Warner Brothers subsidiary by the guy, uh, Jeff Travis, who started Rough Trade Records and signed the Smiths and a bunch of other people at the fall, um, had this record label, right, called Blanco y Negro, and they signed everything but the girls. So, like, their label mates were everything but the girl, who I think are an incredible uh, duo and band. Um, and you know, started. What was their that. What was their big song? I know I've heard the name before. Um, you know, it, um, "Missing" was the big American song. You know, "And I Miss You." You know, uh, uh, but they made many records. Tracy Thorne was an incredible vocalist. It's very a lot of it's loungy in a way, but she was really incredibly talented, and I, I loved them. But the Mary Chain for me was a really important band, and I've, I've got to tell you that 
what I what I think about the Mary Chain is, and, I, and I'm going to be completely honest, I love the run of their first four albums. And as much as I love Psycho Candy, my favorite album is probably the one right after it, Darklands, um, which was their biggest record in the charts in England. And that was on the strength and the backbone of Psycho Candy because they'd gotten such a buzz that they got this top like three album and had their biggest hit single with April Skies, which is one of my favorite songs ever that I have played on every radio station I've ever worked at. Every time it's April 1st, generally I will uh, pull that song out and and demand to play it on the air because yeah. I love the Mary Chain. And I also love the third album, Automatic, the one with Head On and Lose From a Gun. And the fourth one, Honey's Dead, which has con- arguably one of the most subversive alternative songs um, to open the record, Reverence, which was a song that the lyrics were, I want to die just like Jesus Christ. I want to die on a bed of spikes. <laughs> I want to die in the USA. I want to die just like JFK on a sunny day. Oh, wow. You know, it was one of the songs that, you know, radio, radio stations played it early on. But when I was doing the morning show in New York um, with Leslie Fram, who's an amazing, she's a big, huge executive, you know, running CMT now. And she had a background in alternative music. And it was the only song that she said to me, Matt, you can't play that song. And like mm. in the morning, you know, I can play the gun club. I had this feature on the radio every morning called Spin Matt's iPod from like 2008 to 2011. And the only song I wasn't allowed to play was Reverence by Jesus and Mary Chain because of those lyrics. It's like, I want to die. I want to die. It's just like, I think it was a little too intense for eight in the morning for four sure. million people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, but I think Psycho Candy is such an important record. I do love the album. I love uh, it as uh, as musically, but also as a document uh, and how it really ushered in an interesting change. And you got to think about what was really, you know, on the charts and at the end of 85, it was like, you know, things like Dire Straits and Wham and Tears for Fears, who I also love, of course. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you but... know, but it was just, um, and Simply Red, you know, things like that in the UK. Things were different. Uh, it was about to be, there was about to be an explosion with hair metal yeah. uh, worldwide. Let's but look at some of the top songs of 1985. Yeah. I mean, you got the Eurythmics. Yeah. Who are also great, by the way. I mean, you know. I, fears, uh, you said. Simple yeah. Mind. Huey Lewis in the news. Power yeah. of Love. Yeah. So there what was would you call this? Era? What would you call, Matt? What would you call this era of music? At, but what was at the forefront? I mean. I mean, I this... think that it was just like, it was an interesting place because it was. Post-punk had made way, you know, through the merging of, you know, the electronic music that was happening at the time, the OMDs, you know, the soft cells, the blamage, all the bands that were were originally starting out um, with the whole synth thing. Things had gotten a little different. I mean, The Cure were still having a lot of success. The Smiths were still extremely successful. But, um, you know, it was, you know, obviously Whitney Houston and, you know, Dire Straits and fucking heads, you know, there were great That's things right. on, on the charts, but you know, Mr. Mr. And things like that were very pop. And, uh, you know, um, it was just a very different time. This was, you know, there was, a, there was a, certainly a big market for independent music, uh, in the UK. There were independent music charts. There was a great John Peel, the, uh, legendary DJ there who I actually got that lunch with before, you know, way before he died back in about 1990. Two at Reading Festival, the one where Nirvana were, you know, on the stage uh, where Kurt Cobain came out in the uh, hospital gown and a wheelchair, and then you know got him up. And I was actually there on the side of the stage. Oh wow! Months. But uh, but yeah, this record was super important, and um, 
I think it's wild that the third single on the record was Just Like Honey, which is the song that is obviously opens the album. It was the most well-known uh, and might still be the most well-known song, at least in many circles. It was in Lost in Translation. It's been used in the soundtracks of tons of movies. But the Mary Chain were just, I loved them um, because I loved their, just their sonic assault was unbelievable. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. And yeah, like how would you describe how would you describe this? Because I, I I'm like listening to this and a, a lot of it sounds very similar. Like there's it's not much of like, you know, sometimes the tracks kind of do bleed together. That's not saying I didn't like it, because I do love yeah. like I some of the bands that they influence. You kept saying it's an important record, it's an important record. I want you to expand on that as the well. The reason why but, I'll say that, and again, yeah. I do love the second, third, and fourth album even more. more. Yes, yeah, yeah. I love Darklands. I mean, I think that's a masterpiece. And then Automatic's great and Honey's Dead. I think Jesus and Mary Chain fans, uh, you know, all have a favorite. But I think what the reason why this record is so important is because, again, it was such an assault on the senses. There were things that had, you know, there was the punk ethos there. And the fact that, you know, you didn't have to be great at playing an instrument. You didn't have to be a great singer. Uh, and which Jim Reed had said in interviews back then, he had said, you know, look, man, you know, you could pick up an instrument and, you know, learn a few chords and start a band. You, you know, sometimes that's better than having, you know, five years of lessons, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Reference. But I think what was interesting was in making this record, it was some people would compare it to Lou Reed's legendary metal machine music record, which, you know, of course, many said originally he recorded it to get out of his contract with, RCA it was two records of what sounded like air conditioner noise. So like people will say this sounds like a blender. This sounds like a lawnmower. This sounds like a chainsaw. This sounds like, I'm not talking about the Jesus Mary Chain record. Yeah. It sounds like endless feedback. And a lot of that is true. You could use all those words to describe this record, but at the root of it, what's so important is it's, it's really all about pop melodies. And in that sense, it's important because you know, if you look forward to Nirvana, right, and you, and you know that Kurt Cobain loved pop music, but, you know, it was very, if you, even if you listen, never mind. He was listening to Smithereens, especially for you, which is an incredible album. Listen to all the Smithereens. I love that band. Underrated band from my home area of central New Jersey. Cobain was so, listening to him so much that Blood and Roses seeped into about a girl, you know, and then later on, Pat Denise's vocals. You can hear its influence on Kurt Cobain and on a plane on Nevermind, you know? But I'm saying, like, you know, it, it has this important place, right? I mean, we can go through different tracks. 
right. on the record clicking if you want, but I can I can say uh, it was taking you know the things that obviously Jim and William Reed as two brothers loved, and I love the story that you know their father got you know set you know severance at a job that he'd had for years, and he gave them three hundred pounds to buy like a, a porta studio, like a recorder, like you know basically to start recording yeah. in their house. Um, and you get the feeling, even by all the lyrics, um, you know, that, you know, they were really doing things in the bedroom and that they, as you know, Jim Reed was, you know, I've said many times that he was very uncomfortable being in crowds and that's why he drank so much. And that's why he and his brother would brawl on stage. And there were so many fights between your brothers. Yeah. And I mean, that, that continued into the years. Like I remember like 2008 or seven, seeing those guys when they were back together, whenever it was. And they were still like fighting by the end of the show. And honestly, uh, their, their shows were really hit or miss. I would always go really hoping it was great. And sometimes it'd be a terrible show. When know? was the first time? No, when was the first time you saw them? Like when, how, how way back I, did it first, was? It? Uh, it was way back. I think around the time of Darklands when they uh, came out and played uh, New York City. And I'm almost sure it was the Ritz, if I'm not mistaken, going back. But, uh, you know, I... I had the funniest experience of interviewing the band at uh, at the I think it was the second Lollapalooza was the one I think it was the one which uh, the Chili Peppers Soundgarden Pearl Jam oh uh, wow yeah Lush. yeah those lines are incredible yeah, it was man. unreal right and so yeah in fact when I leave here today I'm going to be interviewed for this Paramount Plus docu series on the Lollapalooza's early years but oh, I mean, wow yeah which yeah. is really cool that it's coming out but um I was on the side of the stage doing interviews. At La Palooza, I think it was 92, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, um, with the Jesus and Mary Chain. And they went on early in the day. And I just remember Jimmy going, this is really weird for us, man, because uh, we're not going, we're just, we're just not used to going on in the daylight. You know, like, coffee, <laughs> yeah. dark noise bands are meant to be seen at night in the dark. Sure. Like, Closed venue. But, um, you know, nightclub thing. But, um, you know, I, I think what's... It was obviously the record's a statement. It's a document, and uh, and you know I can talk to you about the songs on this record, but I think you know just like Honey, obviously. Well, well, hold on. Before I wanted, I wanted you. We we mentioned them fighting. Yeah, let's talk about that. Well, I want to talk about here's well first. Let me just read this little spiel for yeah. everybody out there that is this is might be their first time ever listening to the Jesus and Mary Chain. This is a Scottish alternative rock band formed by two brothers, Jim and William Reed in '83, with various bandmates joining them throughout the years. The band is influenced uh, or said to be influenced by the Stooges, the Velvet Underground, and their sound successfully lands somewhere between the Stooges' noise and, like you said, Lou Reed's catchy lyrics. The three following albums after Psycho Candy, Darklands, Automatic, and Honey's Dead are also very highly positive-reviewed albums. Uh, there is, was rising tension between the members developed in the mid-90s. They split up in 99 after their sixth and least commercially successful record, Monkey. Uh, they were formed in 2007, playing shows and re releasing various box sets and greatest hits albums before the recording of a new studio record, Damage and Joy, in 2017. So brothers Jim and William had been inspired to form a band in 77, having heard groups of the British punk scene. By the early 80s, they formed their own. Uh, William stayed 
waited. It was perfect timing because they weren't any, there weren't any guitar bands. Everybody was making this electronic pop music. Yeah, 77 was like a real, well, no, isn't, but isn't punk no, out think, in 77? I think, yeah, I think he means like when their record came out, like 85. Okay. I think 77, you know, was punk. And, you know, and again, I was talking about, about how much I didn't like the New York radio stations. And that's because, you know, they played the same five albums on repeat. Frampton Comes Alive, Wings at the yeah. Speed of Sound, Hotel California, Asia, and Silk Degrees by Boz Skaggs. And it's no, like, in retrospect, you know, I like things on every one of those records, uh, and certainly. Sure. And, uh, you know, I've interviewed every single one of those artists somewhere, maybe with the exception of Donald Fagan, who, but I do love early Steely Dan. But I, um, I just wanted to say that, even if you like those records, nobody wanted to hear them that much. You and can't. You give, yeah. There's just you, too you, much you, cocaine uh, being stuffed, shoved up the nose of the DJs and programmers back then in that part of the 70s. And they were looking for long album sides to play over and over again while they <laughs> whatever they were doing. I mean, how many times, uh, can, you I, hey, how many times can you hear Lido shuffle? You know what I mean? Yeah, which is you know, a good song, but it's like not a thousand or low down a thousand times in a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was brutalizing me. And I was just. This teenager, you know, just hungry for new music more. in the late yeah. 70s. That's why, you know, I fell in love with the Dead Boys, the Sex Pistols and the Ramones. But like even like all the other things that were coming out at that period of time, like Squeeze and Elvis Costello and Nick Lowe. And, you know, there were so many cool things that were coming. Um, uh, but I got to say that, you know, for this period of Mary Chain, I think we're talking about that everything was very slick in 85, 86. Um, you know, it was coming on the post explosion of electronic pop that came out of originally started and who deserves the most credit in the beginning. The first guy to the biggest hit in electronic music in England was Gary Newman. I mean, you know, for years, the press over there, you know, shit on him. And then they were all a bunch of fucking jerk offs because at the end of the day, our friends electric is one of the most important records of all time because yeah. it was the first number one electronic record with no chorus. As Courtney Love said, it's one of the greatest songs of all time with no chorus. The riff, was the synth thing. He was in a punk band. He found a synthesizer in the corner that somebody had left in the studio and incorporated that thing into his music. And then all of a sudden became this electronic pioneer, Gary Newman. And then he inspired so many other people. And that's when Depeche Mode and so many other people broke through because of Gary Newman. He broke down the door for everybody. But yeah. uh, when it came to electronic music, I'm not saying he's the first. Certainly Ultravox, even with their first singer, John Fox, was doing things like that and Eno, and there were people that were using, and you know, of course, Kraftwerk, and there were some Krautrock bands. I mean, there were so many different people using stuff, but he had taken it into a, a different place. It was electronic rock, and it made it into the pop charts. So, but but I mean, this was things were getting a lot softer in '85. You know, they really were, and I think for people that loved independent music, they there was that you know people that had discovered how brilliant the Smiths were at this period of time. Mm -hmm. REM were getting bigger in America, but I, there wasn't other than, you know, this, it was just one of those periods of time where also the, you got to remember that the British press, and I want to explain this to everybody who's listening, used to have three weekly music newspapers and they were great, but they had to write about something all the time. They had to have something to sell newspapers. So if there was like a fight with six people outside a gig, you know, at a, at a Jesus Merchant, and they said, right, it was all right. It's a polytechnic. And maybe, you know, 30, 10 people got in a fight, but they would turn it into this incredible thing. So when yeah. that news got over to America, we were like, who's this band that's causing riots in the UK? Yeah, 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 so, yeah. You know, you realize, a... you know, <laughs> so it was one of those things. Uh, so the hype was there. 
um, for Jesus and Mary Chain. But the thing was, how I look at, you know, their songwriting and, you know, it was very evident here is their influence of Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground, their big influence of the Beach Boys, because there's something about, and, you know, later they covered Surfing USA. It was one of their B-sides. So they, you know, they wear their influences on their sleeves. But I just think they're a super important now, a band who got better on the second, third, good. and fourth yeah, album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I thought, I, I found this very interesting. It's, you know, when they're getting ready to form it, they're, they're unemployed. They start writing and recording stuff at home. And then to decide who gets to be the lead singer, they do a coin toss because neither wanted to do it. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting thing about them. They were reluctant stars, but they didn't, well, not reluctant musicians, but they didn't, you know, have that confidence. Uh, I'm glad that Jim Reed won the coin toss because as we will talk about on this record, there is only one song with Williams singing and Jim definitely rose to the occasion using all his limitations and using them very well on their second, third and fourth album. And, uh, but again, uh, there are good songs on this record and, um, and yeah, there, there. Uh, no, yeah. look, I, I don't want to say there's not. I, I actually did enjoy this. Jeremiah texted me yesterday. He said it sounded like nails being scratched on a chalkboard. Yeah, well, I was uh, saying the blender, the lawnmower, you know, the air conditioner. Oh my god. Yeah, like, yeah. Don't don't listen to this with really good headphones. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> like, yeah, it's really funny in the background. Well, like, you know, my as my girlfriend was sleeping, I'm like, you know, um, maybe I'll listen to this with headphones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what this? You know, it, wake her she up. might she might move out if uh, she hears this record a little too. This loud. not it's not like this is that same record or even on the quality of the production. But very very early on in the podcast, we did uh, PIL's Metal Box, right. yeah. and that you mentioned how like Gary Newman wrote a song with no chorus and that in electronic it's and and I remember listening to Metalbox being like wow there's this all sounds very very similar it's all noise and yeah. I hated it and then one yeah. thing I woke up and I was humming one of the melodies uh and I was like and I was like, like pop tones or something yeah like it was pop tunes and I was like <laughs> let me let me re let me re um listen to this record right now and I did and I remember I took like a second I'm standing in front of the speakers and I just go this is one of the greatest records ever made this is the punk rock uh, bitches brew I this is incredible and I remember I sat down with Kyle Kinane to talk about it and he goes yeah. you think this record's good he goes what's your what's your second favorite record uh Halloween spooky sounds <laughs> yeah well you know it's really funny because I'm not a huge fan of metal box I'm not even a big I'm not even a fan of metal box I mean I like the first pill album and I like a lot of things I think it's a, another document, but I think the Mary Chain, this record's a better record than Metalbox. And the reason, I, you know, I mean, Metalbox has moments, but I was also told by people close to, close at hand that they were auditioning drummers and people at that period of time. Of course, they settled on Mar Martin Atkins, who was a dear friend of mine from Britain, who, uh, you know, was in the band for quite a while. Um, and, uh, but like, there was just crazy stories behind the recording of Metalbox. And I, and, uh, which uh, in America was called second edition, you know, because they were, there was no way they knew they were going to sell many records at Virgin here. So what they ended up doing was releasing it as I meaning calling it second edition. So it had a real cover and it wasn't in a metal box. Cause that, yeah. Just remember the famous story about how blue Monday by new order, one of the greatest dance records of all time um, is the biggest selling 12 inch single of the 1980s or all time. 
but they lost money on every copy because of the packaging. It was a die cut floppy disc. So every copy lost the record company factory money. Even though, and it's still considered one of the greatest dance songs. I still believe wow. it. Yeah, Blue Monday uh, by New Order. But yeah, they I lost money that. on every single copy I believe that they that. sold. That's crazy. I have like, just a couple of things here. I don't know if this is in the pre-spiel uh, you got. Just here, read it, dude. This was Jump crazy. in. Demos. Early demos displayed a similarity to the Ramones, prompting the brothers to add another element to their sound in Williams' words. That's why we started using noise and feedback. We wanted to make the record sound different. Uh, they began playing live in 84 spring and in the early days, William Reed's guitar would be left out of tune while Doug Leash's drum kit was limited to two drums. Hart's bass guitar only had three strings down to two by 1985 yeah. and in Hart's mm -hmm. words, that's the two I use. I mean, what's the fucking point spending money on the other two? Two is enough. Yeah. And struggling to get gigs at that period of time, which is really funny. I mean, the whole thing is really, it's an interesting thing and how, you know, they were able to get better and better uh, and make better records as, you know, on those next three uh, were, you know, I I just happen to love the next three. And I think it's cool that Bobby Gillespie was their drummer for a little while, the front man for Primal Scream, who did the incredible. Really? I'm moving on up now. That, now, that's, now that's a great song. Unbelievable. And now Scream Adelica, yeah. Yeah, they I were, love that. I love yeah, that song, man. Yeah, that song's incredible. And that song, they bought, you know, they used Jimmy Miller, you know, who did produce Street Fighting Man and Stones and worked on Baker's Banquet and Let It Bleed. Uh, they were going for that Stone sound and they got it. You know, I mean, that's oh why moving God, on yeah. up is so great. It's yeah, they really had this is this, Josh. Like, you couldn't do this in stand up comedy. Struggling to get gigs, the band took to turning up at venues claiming to be the support band, playing their short set and making a quick exit. After failing to <laughs> like they just like show up and we're like, I love oh, yeah, this stuff. Band. Uh, I, mean, I mean, yeah. Go ahead, Matt. Please go because this is like the, I, I, this is this this is how you make it. This yeah. is how you make it. You you say I'm not going to take no for an answer and I'm going to do whatever because yeah. there are comedians that do shit like that. That's happened a yeah. million times. Maybe they're not showing up saying hey, I want to go on stage right now, but they're saying, "Hey, I'm friends with Bill Burr and he you know he told me to swing by here." And they know they can't call Bill, so they're like, uh, "Okay," and maybe they throw them up. I mean, it happens all the time. Those are hungry artists, which is which is nuts because reading about it and I know we I really want to get into this before we even get into the record is I want to understand these brothers like are they as contentious as oasis are they are they the black well, crows I mean, no i mean i think they're definitely they have that fighting sibling rivaling rivalry like anybody um all brothers i mean they 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 seem to always be fighting there's very few brothers that i've seen in bands that don't come to blows at some point but i wouldn't compare them necessarily to oasis because oasis those guys were never afraid to talk in the press, shred each other, shred everyone else. I mean, yeah. <laughs> give it up. One of my favorite things of all time, and my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter, Jessica, right, who uh, uh, she, it's really funny because, you know, I got her really into Oasis when she was little. I started both my daughters with the Beatles and then went from there, right? But um, and my, my daughter left because I had had this magazine that was basically all old interviews and features on Oasis. And it starts out with Liam Gallagher going, the question is, why isn't why would you write make a magazine about oasis he goes why the fuck would you we're the greatest we're the, you know like all this shit it's hilarious it's really funny okay. even if you don't like them you've got to appreciate 
that rude confidence that they have. I, I, I uh, fall I mean, in, I've fallen more and more in love with Oasis over oh, the years yeah. because you know because it's true there's a there's a clip of uh i guess the oh, lead singer yeah. from the band 1975 talking about he goes he goes what are you doing he's like no one wants to see your side projects get back together and sell out stadiums around you'll be he's like you guys start making if you guys start playing together you'll immediately be the coolest band in the world this episode is brought to you by pepsi wild cherry Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Well, you know, it's, I mean, it's, been, it's crazy because, you know, when, when Liam started out with BDI, uh, you know, I went to see them, you know... Look, I did a lot with Oasis. I mean, I threw 120 minutes, and I, I remember. Especially, you, are you the? Are we, I, not to cut you off, not to cut you off, but are you are you the the VJ that Mister Show makes fun of, where they're interviewing the two British guys and they're giving you no answers? You're asking these great questions, and they're just like, I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, know. Well, I think so. I mean, at that <laughs> point, I think so because Maynard James Keenan told me that it was definitely that Bob and and uh, Dave Cross. We're doing it, and it was just more like, and there was. I think isn't there one part of it where they go like, "Oh, you gonna, you guys are gonna be getting divorced or one next week or something." And it was like, you know, the guy knows more about your music than you do. Yeah, uh, it was definitely not out of a diss of me, which was cool. And, and you know, look, I've been I've been parodied by you know Ben Stiller, everybody, and I appreciate it. I love that. Um, yeah. and I love uh, Mr. Show with Bob and Dave. I mean, sure, I think it's iconic, man. Geniuses. Yeah, so I think that is true. That's what Maynard told me, and. um uh, which is really wow. cool. But I, you know, I had better luck with bands than most of the other hosts that hosted 120 minutes. Cause I knew more about the music. Yeah. Um, in most cases. Um, and, but at the same time, you know, it's pretty funny because I will say this about British bands, they would come over and they would always, you know, be on a red eye or something or maybe not a red eye, but they would go out the night before we would shoot. And we'd always shoot 120 minutes early in the morning. So they were always pretty hungover, <laughs> like most yeah. of them. But we had great times. And, uh, you know, I loved doing that show so much because I really loved and cared about it, championed alternative music from You really did. Radio. You really did, you know, Matt. It's and like... then on the radio in, you know, in, uh, you know, New Jersey. And, and, you know, it was it was a great opportunity to be there. And I was, you know, got to also remember that other than Louis Largent, me and Louis were the only guys that were actually in the music department who were actually – fighting for bands, making the making decisions on bands. We weren't just talking heads that were hired. You know, we actually, me and Lewis had a serious love for music and he just passed away recently, which oh, man. I, I was devastated about because he'd been sure. sick for quite a while. 
And, uh, you know, he's the one who actually gave me that nickname, The Walking Encyclopedia, because whenever a British band would come to town and we'd be out to dinner, he would go, ask Matt anything about music. Ask Matt anything about music. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I remember the chairman of Sony Music when I was. And look, I don't pretend to know everything about music. I'm always learning. The minute you think you know everything, you close the door to growth. And uh, and there's always new great artists coming up. And I still thrive on finding a new band or a new song that actually really kicks my ass, that just hits me in an emotional or some kind of way. Um but one of the funniest things ever with that whole reputation of knowing so much about music was one day I'm sitting in my office at Columbia Records. Cause you remember I was vice president of A&R and artist development there for like six years. And I get a call from the chairman of Sony music. And he goes, Matt, I need you in my office right now. I come upstairs. I go up there. He's sitting in there with Sugar Rose, right? <laughs> the band from Iceland. Oh yeah. Just saw and, them twice. It's all yeah, them, and, them and back to back nights. I know they're great. And I, I love them. And they were like, ask Matt anything about music. And they look at me and go, who was the first bass player in the Buzzcocks? Uh, I go, Garth, who was on Orgasmatic. You know, it was after like Spinal Scratch, obviously things had changed up. But, you know, and they went, oh, my God, you do know. And that was it was pretty funny. Of course, he wasn't able to sign the band. They didn't sign with them, with our chairman, with our company. But it was just funny because... Sure. Well, I mean, they, and they could have asked me anything. I could have gotten it wrong because you know I don't know everything. Nobody knows everything. I mean, you know, but I, but I do. You know, a blanket. You you have you cover a, a your what your blanket covers a wide net. Is that covers a wide net? Is that yes, the same? It, yeah, it's probably you cast. You know, yeah, because it's true. I mean, I I love so much music going all the way back to like Sinatra and you know, and then all the way up through. I know you know I love blues and some jazz stuff and soul music from. You know, I love a lot of different things. And, you I love know, that you keep an open mind, though, because that was why it was perfect for you to be our music director when we were with Dark Lord Spotify. Like, yeah, new music at the end of the show. Like, that, that was I love doing that with you guys and working on the podcast with you. So, you know, um, I still love new music and I still love old music. And I just music is always I'm immersed in it. And I can't imagine, like, I know till the day I die, I'm hopefully st will still be working. Guys, it's yeah. crazy. In, in uh, 2024, I'll have been working, you know, professionally. Although when I say that, I'm talking about making less than somebody in a fast food restaurant for many years. <laughs> but yeah. um, uh, for many, many years. But, you know, I've been in radio professionally for 40 years, you know. I've yeah. been, you know, college before that. And so I'm, you know, I'm very grateful to still be working and doing what I do. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing that you're I, so uh, good at it, man. You're so good at it. If there was ever a totally perfect right. job that somebody should have, because this is the thing about this. Like I, I we get these, we, you know, these one sheets for this record and I'm like, I don't even want to look at this. Just have you explain it, Matt. Cause I could listen to your voice, talk about music all day long. <laughs> oh, thank you, Josh. I mean, I, you know, and of course, you know me, it's funny. My, my girlfriend jokes with me um, because she'll go, sometimes when you're falling asleep, you're still talking. She goes, you're filling dead air. My girlfriend Kara, yeah, you know, it's cool. And luckily, you know, we, you know, we, we recently moved in with each other. And uh, when I met her, she knew so much about music uh, and loved so much music. I'm like, holy shit, where have you been? You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, you know, that's obviously that's only one part of a relationship, but it, of course. I never realized how much of a difference 
it could make among other things. Uh, so let's, so let's, yeah. table, <laughs> so let's, fo- we got about, we got about 20 minutes left, maybe a little less than that. But I, so I want to focus the last 20 talking about this record, because I know, you know, so much we had, we had touched on the brother rivalry and then we went off on Oasis. Like how did that evolve? And did that fuel this band to, to making these incredible records? Well, I think what really happened at this point in time was, you know, I think like so many bands, that were born out of the punk and post-punk and new wave era. And it continued through a good part of the eighties. There weren't a lot of job opportunities over there. And if you watch like the filth and the fury, the uh, sex pistols documentary, if you watch, if you, if you really follow what was happening there, you know, it was Thatcher's years and there were really no jobs. And even like, you know, that was a little later, but you know, towards the end of the seventies, things were so bleak for, for young people uh, in the UK. Uh, that I think they really, they didn't really have a choice. They're like, well, why don't I just like try and do something creatively? Because otherwise I'll be bored out of my mind. And I think that's what happened with these two brothers. I think they were reluctant uh, stars of the alternative music scene. I think they were never that comfortable. And they said it themselves. But they would get drunk before they would go on stage. And then, you know, you've got the thing where you grew up with this guy. So, I mean, let's face it, you know, you know, Noel Gallagher and Liam Gallagher shared a bedroom for years. You know what I yeah. mean? They were like a poor family in Manchester. You know, so it's like, you know, and then, you know, the the legendary, the first band that like literally got banned from touring America because of the Kings. brothers fighting. The, the Kings. Kings with Dave and Ray Davies, two of the Which greatest. We, we had yeah. Dave on the we had Dave on the podcast and he touched on the rivalry a little bit. Like not yeah. much, but he and he's just a trip, dude. You want to talk about a trip. That guy Yeah, he lives he lives like down by Asbury Park now, like by my own stomping grounds. Yeah, you know, I'm yeah. in LA and uh, He's down there, you know. So, okay. so did it. So, like, you know, you talked about the 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 feuds. Like, like which which brother would you say is the real spearheader of this band? Like, is is one more important than the other? I don't know because I'm not really sure about their writing. Um, of of you know how literally how they create and write together. But obviously, I love Jim Reed as the vocalist. They're both. Hey, look, I mean, I've had nothing but good experiences with them. They've always been super nice to me. And, and uh, you know, and again, I'm a huge fan of Darklands uh, yeah. and Automatic and Honey's Dead. And this record was well, a great introduction. I like, but I, I think it was something I started to say earlier, but I didn't finish on that thought when we started going into the Nirvana 92 thing was the same way that Nirvana decided that they were going to take pop melodies and add distortion and, you know, distorted heavy guitars was what no Gallagher once told me. He said, well, I realized that when Nirvana would take pop melodies and add a lot of distortion and it was a little more sloppy, he goes, that's what I decided we would do with Oasis. Cause you know, it's just disguising these pop melodies, but with a lot of noise and a lot of tension. And I think uh, that was the thing that was happening with the Jesus and Mary chain. Um, you know, because obviously the influence is there. I hear beach boys in a big way. I mean, in, yeah. you know, yeah. Who in do you the hear? phrasing, I hear Beach Boys. I hear like obviously the Phil Spector production is there, but I hear Beach Boys and and Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground. Those are the two artists I hear the most. Yeah. In uh, in here and in this record, Beach Boys uh, are just buried under all this noise. It's they like, really are. Hear it. it it's personally. definitely it, it definitely is. Well, you know, and it's interesting too because 
you know, as we go, we can do this, go through the tracks pretty quickly if you want. Yeah, but, let's know, do it. Let's, let's do, do it. You take, like, take us I through. Kind of tell you. I want, I want you to take us through. This is your episode, yeah. Matt. This yeah. is guest no, hosted know, by, by, by Matt Pinfield. <laughs> Josh, you know, it's a, uh, Opens with Just Like Honey, which is considered, you know, an alternative music classic, a classic of the 120 minutes here. Yeah. Obviously, of alternative and college radio, the early days of alternative radio, before it became more mainstream. And now, don't even get me started on, it's not even, you know, now it's just basically farm farm club pop. Yeah. Uh, the alternative format has sure. really become disappointing. But, very, um, very much so. You know, um, and it doesn't mean there's not talented people on the radio there, but it because there's a lot of my friends that are working there and do the best job they can do with tight playlists and some really, you know, just odd choices and things being beaten to death. But it's meet the old boss, new boss, same as the old boss, right? Yeah, but yeah, I, 100%. Um, you know, but anyway, so obviously Just Like Honey is this beautiful song that's very Phil Spector-esque. It sang in a whisper. Um you know, it's it's there's something really magical about that opening track, and obviously- and it's a, and it's about cocaine. Yeah, right. I mean, it's about right. cocaine. That's what we got here. It says it's you know walking back to you is the hardest thing that I could do implies addiction. You know, cocaine's described yeah. as good, so good. I didn't know so they could good. afford cocaine back then. Yeah, right. Well, you know, it was, sure probably, it was probably was, really cut. Yeah, or <laughs> it was yeah, a, yeah. It was a good quality. Yeah, there's a song on this album called Cut Dead, and that was with their cocaine at the period. Yeah, of time. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, if you think about it, when all those punk band new wave bands were starting in the UK, um, they did speed, but it was the speed pills, you know, the cheap speed pills uh, called black beauties here like the clash the jam all those great bands buzzcocks yeah. i mean they were amphetamines um, yeah they were doing amphetamines you know yeah. um, cheap amphetamines uh which explained the fast play <laughs> sure. the rocket fire punk but you know um I, i'm not sure it's about I, I don't know if i you know it's funny josh no matter what they say i'm not sure i agree with that if the band stated that maybe they decided that later because i'm guessing around this time who knows i mean i just think this Five. song i uh yeah, I mean it's it's very vague, but maybe it is about cocaine. You know, I stopped doing cocaine a while ago. I'm I'm so by the way, I'm sober, going on three years. I'm really good for you, man. That, you good know? for you. Finally, uh, finally got a grip on it, and uh, yeah, takes I'm a minute. Grateful. Takes it, a it, minute, it, and, took and me a bit of a minute into my fifties, right? I'm like, what the fuck, dude? It's, it takes it's, what it, it takes. It takes what it takes when it's supposed to happen, and I'm so proud yeah. of you, dude. That's yeah, great. thank you, Josh. It's it's uh, I'm very grateful, you know, to, to be here and alive. And speaking of being alive, like the second song is called The Living End, right? So, yeah. you know, their imagery is like, I looked at it as in the lyrics to this song, they're talking about motorbikes, leather boots. You know, it's that imagery, which, of course, one of your favorite bands took that. And what we're inspired by, by the Mary Chain, and we're talking Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, great band from LA. Yeah. Um, and there's also the lyric, I'm in love with myself. So there's like, you know, um, there's... It's very interesting that, you know, The Living End, it's, again, another song that's drenched with, uh, you know, feedback. But I love uh, the next song, because Taste of Floor... Taste of a great song. You no, know, the third yeah. song has a lot of references to pain and a lot of dark imagery in that song. Uh, but I think my favorite on the first side is The Hardest Walk, which is the yeah. next song. Why, do, know, why is that your favorite? I don't know. I just love the way it starts just with the lyrics, you know? Uh, and I love that line, uh, when your words and touch struck me numb. I just thought that there's, I gotta, I gotta say that the one thing that's great about Mary Chain is, uh, 
really great use of dark lyrics and imagery in in their songs on all those early records, all four of them. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like uh, you know, jumping off this record for a second, but I, a perfect example is on Darklands, the album after it. There's a song called Nine Million Rainy Days." And it reminded me of the beginning of Taxi Driver when he's driving and it's like the rain and it's, and you know, and it's this, every time I hear that song, it's a beautiful, like slow plodding song on Darklands. Um, and there's, you know, the next one on this record is Cut Dead, which is kind of that vibe, uh, the same kind of thing. But Nine Million Rainy Days, always, I, I would love that song so much. And it reminded me because how much I love, you know, obviously, Taxi Driver being just one Love of it. Yeah. that blew me away when I was a teenager, you know. And uh, when home when home box when HBO was called Home Box Office, and they I only remember. had three movies, and they would show them repeatedly, and you had to have the little box, you know. When I was I a remember. teenager, so yeah, my parents taxi, had that, you know. So, but Cut Dead is the fifth track on the on that side. It's a quiet track, and um, I love this one because I think this song cut dead on here is where you really feel the velvet underground influence on here and it's like you know femme fatale and things like that and you know i noticed some people would really disagree with me and that's fine because you should disagree with me if everybody's uh, you know, entitled to their taste but i love the first velvet underground and nico album and i love the nico versions of the songs but i actually sometimes prefer when Lou sang them, and it pops up on these not very well-recorded live Velvet Underground albums. Like, there's one called The Velvet Underground Live at Max's Kansas City, right? Mm -hmm. That version of Femme Fatale is my favorite. And the recording is like some dude's tape recorder in a room. Yeah. But the performance by The Velvets and Lou singing the song at that period of time is absolutely brilliant. And Cut Dead reminds me of that. I love that. I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna try to find that recording and listen yeah. to both of them back to back. Yeah, because it definitely, I think, is on you know on streaming services. So you check that sure. out. And uh, and then of course there's two more songs on this side. There's Taste of Cindy, which again, you know, I like uh, I like when it says "Knife to My Head." She talks so sweetly. "Knife to My Head." When I think of Cindy, now again, they were so inspired by Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground. You know, there were the songs like Candy Says and things like Lou did, like Caroline Says. Lou, as a songwriter, would constantly use uh, women's names in songs. And then, you know, uh, it, you know, it was one of those things that I feel like they were taking that inspiration from the Velvets and Lou when Lou would use a female's name as a song, first song. You know what I mean? And, yeah. uh and that's how I felt about uh, Taste of Cindy. It's also got like a Ramones vibe to it, too. It does, you know? Yeah. And, uh, which, which is really cool. I think I passed up in a hole, which I'm sorry. You passed up in a and, hole, but... Which but, is the noisiest track, but it's, it's also sure. my least favorite on the album. So that's sure. like... Good you know, to know. Good there's to something know. dead inside my soul, my hole. Yeah. I like the lyric, but again... And the thing about Taste of Cindy that's cool is it's like a minute and 40 seconds. So there's the, your Ramones link, the... Yeah, early tracks, very, very know? short. But now, so far, the longest song is just like Candy. But no, it's tied within a hole. No, it's a second longer than in a hole. Yeah. So everything is yeah. coming in at about 230, 240, 216. Yeah, it's a short, short first half. Yeah, and then, you know, the second side starts with Never Understand, which was an early single, which is so Beach Boys. It's so surfing USA, so like, so uh, fun, fun, fun. Um, and, you know, not, not, subject wise but you know it's obviously 
I think Jim's phrasing is really Beach Boys, uh, you know, so it's it's a good one. Then then uh, there's Inside Me, uh, which actually I do like, um, you know, in a whole a little better than Inside Me, but Inside Me is, is also a cool song, but it's a guy who is another one of my least favorites. But I do love Sowing Seeds, which is the next one. Yeah. And again, they're such a new band. They are limited in their ability to play. So they go right back to the Phil Spector, Shangri-Las, Ronettes, drum sound, <laughs> drumming yeah, right. on sowing seeds. Again, they were still finding that in themselves. And I love the lyric in here that once again, they're using the imagery of knives and spikes, which would continue through their later records. Um, and it says, I'm sick of being of the beating by everyone. You know, it's just being beat down. So sowing seeds. Is a cool Before song. Before you jump ahead, Matt, I just yeah. never understand. We have a little note in here from Adam who prepares our research. He says the label had initially refused to press the single due to its B-side. Jesus fuck, right? And oh yeah, but went ahead given the alternative put forward by the band a song called Jesus fuck. Like how is Jesus to suck uh fuck better than suck? That's that uh, yeah, I don't think that really uh yeah, you know, that would really Crazy. in those days and even in America but Especially in the UK. That was, remember, that was only a few years after they wouldn't put anarchy in the UK and God Save the Queen. People, you know, people working in the factories and pressing factories. There were a lot of old, older people there, you know, like there were yeah. old women that had been, you know, there since they'd been pressing in England, Cliff Richard and Frank Sinatra and Elvis records. So, you know, the, a lot of people were seriously offended. I mean, people were offended by the Jesus and Mary Chain's name to begin with. Um, oh, I, I bet. Think that was Jesus. the other thing. And you got to remember how crazy, uh, you know, it was in America, even in the 60s, the reason why God Only Knows was the number two single in the UK, but never a big hit in America as beautiful as God Only Knows is that people were were like afraid to play a song with the word God in the title in America back in 1966. So, you know, that kept that Beach Boys, one of the greatest songs ever written, God Only Knows from being a real hit in America, you know, never yeah. got up, all the way up the chart. And that I believe was, it blows my mind because of the use of the word God in a song. People were very afraid. They were God fearing people. So they're like, wait a minute, you can't, you can't put that on a record. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. you know, that was the deal would never understand yet. Yeah, yeah. They were always, obviously the Jesus and Mary Chain were, were trying to, you know, fuck with people in a big way. This is Krista makes guitarist and vocalist for less than Jake and host of Krista makes a podcast a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. My my favorite song on this album, other than Just Like Honey, uh, after my is after is, is coming. But but My Little Underground is a good song. That's not the one I'm talking about. What I like is it's got a really cool pop melody. My Little Underground, 
is the Jesus and Mary Chain rewrite of In My Room by the Beach Boys. Because the lyrics are about, you know, isolating, being by yourself, you know, somewhere I can't be found in my little underground is, you know, the same is, you know, their version of there's a there's a world where I can go and tell my secrets to in my room, you know, by the Beach Boys. So, yeah, that's uh, uh, that's crazy. That's how I see that song. And my favorite song on the album is You Trip Me Up, which is the next track on, on side two. And believe it or not, I prefer there's an acoustic version, which is really hard to find. It used to be one of their B-sides. Uh, it's on their Bob Wired Kisses box set, I think, um, but which is a great name for a box set, Bob Wired Kisses. Like, you know, that's the cool thing about Jesus and Mary Chain. Like, the imagery is just is dark, sharp, and uh, some people might find it offensive, but I just think it's, you know, they paint a lot of pictures and... Uh, and these really, really cool imagery on everything. But yeah, again, you trip me up. You know, I love it. This year it was ranked sixth by NME on their 85 tracks of the year list. Number yeah. Six. Uh, yeah. And I love the lyrics. Sometimes I walk sideways to avoid you when I've annoyed you. <laughs> That's mm. a great opening lyric. <laughs> um, and, you know, sideways they talk about later on, they had a single called Sidewalking, which was great. Um, very, and, you know, they had a song called, speaking of, uh, they actually had a song called Bo Diddley's Jesus <laughs> at some point oh, as well. Wow. So they were obviously uh, using the, uh, you know, they were they were not afraid to keep using the word Jesus. Uh, but yeah, You Trip Me Up is a great song. I great always, song. You know, um, and then and Something's it, Wrong, and, something, and yeah. which is the longest song on the record. Yeah, and, well, and here's the funny thing about Something's Wrong. They used the same riff on one of their best singles off Darklands. They re-resurrected it without all the feedback and did Happy When It Rains, which was the follow-up to April Skies on their next album. Happy When It Rains is a great song that everybody should check out. But you'll hear that. Yeah, yeah. So they're like, hey, we were, we, we had that judge the feedback. We'll just, without the feedback, it's a different song. <laughs> no, yeah. it's, uh, no, whatever. It's a cool song. But I really do like uh, Something's Wrong. Because uh, it's a song about like being loneliness, alienation, and heartbreak. It's you know another day of life without you. Uh, I like you know the imagery and the lyrics of that one. And then um, the album ends with "It's So Hard," which is the only song that William Reed, his brother, sings on. Um, and you know it's uh, again for those people that are wondering what we're talking about. This is a, a band who put out a record that sounded like. You know, they, they added so much feedback that it sounded like a chainsaw, a blender, or air conditioner. Um, it just, that's what it sounds like in a lot of places. But there is something magical about it. It's, uh, it's a very divisive album. Uh, it's a very polarizing album. I think the band went for the polarizing things in some of their imagery over the years. They were artists, huh? They were just trying to fuck with people, basically. Yeah, they really were. They certainly were, you know? And... Um, you know, it's uh, and it was cool. You know, they had did that sometimes always song where he, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, who did the uh, someone hope Sandoval of uh, of Massey Star, who was his girlfriend, uh, Jim Reed's girlfriend for a while, or, or William Reed, one of them. Uh, and they did a duet together, and then another big fight broke out on stage. I think with her and him. So like crazy. Their wow. history is so nuts. We have Again. a story here that uh, it says playing in front of small audiences during early shows, the marriage chain performed very short gigs, typically, typically fueled by amphetamines you mentioned and lasting around 20 minutes. Yes. And uh, played with their backs to the audience, refusing to speak, doing the Jim Morrison thing. 
Uh, and then during a 84 December performance, bottles were thrown on stage with press reports exaggerating events and claiming there had been a riot. And the national newspaper, The Sun, ran a story on the band concentrating See? on violence and drugs. And Yeah, and that's what made them famous. It's so funny because, I, like I said, it was like some some really small bullshit. And then, you know, the press has got to sell papers over there. Yeah. And I love the Melody Maker sounds and um, and the NME because that's how I found out, you know, what was going on in the British charts, um, you know, every week. Uh, they had the indie charts and the regular pop charts. And there were some, there were good songs in both, you know. And as any pop charts, there's shit in them too, you know, as it always is. You know, people that glamorize one era and go, oh, it was the greatest music time for music. Yes, it might have been a very fertile time. And there are every, you know, there are definitely these incredible yeah, ground swells, whether it's Seattle or San Francisco or Los Angeles or whatever that happens to be. Um, but there was always shit music too, <laughs> right? Yeah. Always out, no matter what. You know, there's always stuff in the charts that you're like, "What was that shit?" Oh, but um, you they, know, they don't stand the to the time. But I, I yeah. see here the last fact that I think is pretty dope, Josh, is uh, about yeah. Trent Reznor being a big fan. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you can hear that in no just everything. Right? It's that's no, yeah. not a surprise at all. Yeah, um, I like, just want I, you know, I just wanted to say to people, this is a cool album to check out on the streaming services. But um, there is also a compilation, I think, called 21 Singles. It's yeah. interesting if you listen to that to hear the way the band, meta, you know, the metamorphosis of the band and how they grew. But cool. again, my favorite album is Darklands, the one right after this. And I also love Automatic, the third album, and Honey's Dead. There's uh, incredible songs on all those. But this is definitely worth listening to it and experiencing. Um, Completely. Yeah. You know? I, I think I think if you listen, I think to all the listeners out there, it's like if you're going through the list anyway, you got to listen to it. This might be one that you might need a couple listens to really get. Yeah. But, you know, don't give up on it. Like it's I thought it was very rewarding and I thought it was great. And usually I ask these few questions before we get out of here. But you've answered a lot of them. So I just want to ask you, knowing what you know about the Jesus and Mary chain and their full catalog for the last thing, does this record deserve to be the one that's on the 500 greatest albums list? Um, I think, you know, it's an arguable point. I think that it really it's seriously debatable. Um, I like it because I think, again, it's a line in the sand record. Uh, it's a confrontational record. I mentioned before, polarizing and divisive. Um, and even something is, you, that you might find as pop as the Ramones' first album. When I got that when I turned 15 years old and it had just come out, and I was at the Corvette's department store, and I um, you know, I asked my sister-in-law who was working there, hey, I got some birthday money. It's my birthday. Uh, I got suspended from school for fighting. I got in a fight with a guy who was born on the same day, another Irish guy like myself, who <laughs> We beat each other up in the bathroom over the same girl that we were like in love with and we were like we were at war with. We got suspended. His dad was a mobster, major mobster. My dad was a school teacher, so he probably congratulated his son and me. And we, me and this guy are friends to this day, believe it or not. Nice. But um, here I am turning 15. I get suspended, go home, and I hitchhike up to uh, the, this department store that sells records. And I just said, hey, uh, you got anything cool? for me and they pull out the first Ramones album and I go oh my god 14 songs holy shit and yeah. uh, I bought the record very polarizing I will use that as an example of you know people either loved or hated it and I think that's kind of what this is like or you might some people might find hey this is alright there's some good songs on here but again 
Um, it's arguable that this should be on there. I think it's an important record that I do think, I think yeah. it was an important record because I think it opened, uh, you know, a lot of opportunity for people to do records like this and in its way became more mainstream and poppy in bands like Nirvana and Oasis and people that would add more distorted guitars to pop melodies. And yeah. so therefore I think it's an important record. Is it one of my favorites? Not as much no. as the other ones <laughs> yeah, they've yeah. done. But, uh, yeah. but I mean, I'm gonna, I have to be completely honest. I wouldn't come on here and go, oh, you know, it's our greatest record of all time. I love that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I'm going to be I really think, honest with you. I'll yeah. tell you which records that if you were going to buy them, buy one of the second, third, or fourth. I think they have... They are such great records. Like I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to listen to them now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Matt, promote away, dude. Anything you want to promote? Yeah. Well, I have a TV show on Access TV. It's called The Power Hour that I do with Katie Babs uh, as my co-host from Sirius XM and Josh Bernstein, who created the Golden Gods Awards, Loudwire. It's a rock video countdown interview show. People vote on it. It's, it's a lot of fun. It started as a Twitch show on my couch through Danny Wimmer Presents, which is uh, you know one of the, the biggest independent rock concert promoter in the U.S., it's on Access TV. You know, I have a radio show Sunday nights in Los Angeles on KLOS, which is the rock station. It's uh, it's called New and Approved, and it's uh, 10 songs that are like the 10 biggest songs in, in uh, rock in uh, Los Angeles and anywhere in Southern California. And then I just do interviews and, and celebrate albums, anniversaries, and rock birthdays. Love. And then I have another show that's on all over the country, probably 180 radio stations terrestrial. Uh, called Flashback, which is like a rock history show. It'll go like 1974, and I'll give you facts and stuff from 1974 how albums did cool. this week in rock history. That's been going for 12 years. Yeah. Um, and then I have this other streaming countdown, which is a rock countdown through a live one that's in like all the Teslas and, uh, you know, I don't know what else, but I mean, it's an app. <laughs> I mean, but I, you know what it is, guys? I just keep on going, you know? And yeah, it's great. Like, I'm funded, it, man. Yeah, I mean, I, here's my thing. You know, I always say this to everybody, you know what? I don't make a lot of money, but I love what I do. And I, you know, I put enough things together as an independent contractor to keep on going because mm -hmm. I love music so much. And that's really all I've ever, you know, I've been driven by it from, from day one, you know? And, uh, you know, from the time I was a young kid, and I'm just so grateful that I get to talk about music. Like, you, be on this with you, Josh. The best. Yeah. You know, and hang out it, with it you rules, uh, guys. Man. You and Jeremiah, man. It's a great hang. A great you know? hang. Dude, <laughs> you know? thank you so much for coming on, buddy. Maddie Pinfield. Follow him on Instagram at Matthew Pinfield, on Twitter at Matt Pinfield. Go to his website, mattpinfieldmusic.com and uh, support this show and Matt because we love everybody. For new music, we got a band from Canada called Odonis Odonis. This is their song, Trust, off their 2021 album, Spectrum. Go to uh, the500podcast.com for all the info and send us your song and we will play it at the end of the podcast if you like uh, the podcast and you like your music and you want it supported. Next week is Paul Simon Week. We're doing his self-titled 72 album. Listen to it.
Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Next Chapter Podcasts.